Celtics beat Golden State by 33 points. Let me say that again. They beat the Doves by 33. They stomped them. Are the Celtics reestablishing themselves as the team to beat in the East? It's the Cypher. Celtics destroy the Warriors by 33 points. So what is it? Problem solved. All their chemistry issues over with the Celtics back to being the beast of the East. Or do the Celtics just match up very well with the defending champs? Both can be yes. There can be a yes answer to both of those things. Or there can be a yes and no answer. Yes, the Celtics have the talent to beat the Golden State Warriors. Yes, they match up well with the Warriors because of their wing talent. When you look at Tatum and you look at guys like Marcus Smart and Jalen Brown and then a guy who seems to be getting healthier and healthier in Gordon Haywood along with Terry Rozier, they have the athletes and wing defenders that can match up and switch everything versus Golden State. They also have a big in Al Horford who plays very well in space. So pick and roll defense is not an issue for him. So, yes, they match up very well with the defending champions. They've beaten them twice this year. And one of the reasons is, A, the Celtics, even with all their struggles, are a much better defensive team than the Warriors, who, by the way, the defending champs have been a mediocre, middle-of-the-road defensive team all season long. Their best defense is their offense. And when they're not scoring, when they're not shooting the three well, when they're turning the ball over, which has always been one of the Warriors' Achilles' heels, they're in trouble. Then you factor in Boston came in with a game plan, a game plan that I think a lot of teams are going to use versus the Warriors. I said this as much last episode when I said Warriors versus the field. By the way, I am taking the field. The Warriors struggle defensively. Add Boogie Cousins, and they're going to struggle defensively even more because even before his injury, he didn't play well in space defensively. Now you're asking him to come back, and they're going to test his lateral movement. They're going to test his ability to stop and go, and he's going to struggle. And he has struggled in recent games. They've struggled as a team defensively. I'm not singling him out, but I will tell you this. In the playoffs, you're going to see a lot of pick and roll action, and it's going to involve him and Steph Curry over and over and over. Don't get me wrong. Anybody that has the Warriors as the favorites to three-peat, I'm not arguing with you. They're the two-time champs. And at their very, very best, I can understand why most people favor them to win again. But I don't think this is their very best team. I think this is a top-heavy team. I think once you get past that starting five, there's not much on that bench in terms of talent or firepower. And I'm not disrespecting the careers that Andre Iguodala has, has had along with Sean Livingston, two talented wing players. Iguodala is a finals MVP. He's also a former All-Star. But I think he's gotten a little bit older. I think he's lost a step on both ends of the floor. And the same could be said for Livingston. 
Once you get past those two, and neither one of them are really what you would call shooters, they're more slashers, there's just not a lot of talent on the wing or in the post on the Warriors, which is probably why they're, they're planning on signing Andrew Bogut and bringing him back into the fold because even though he's well into his 30s, he's still an upgrade over what they have on the bench right now. But this isn't about the Warriors. We can get back to them later. I've already made my case why I don't think they're going to three-peat. This is about the Celtics. Are the Celtics a legit title contender? When you look at their top, their, their talent, top to bottom, talent says yes. But we all know sports isn't just about talent. Sports is about chemistry. Sports is about trust and the commitment that teammates and coaches and the front office have amongst each other. And right now, the Celtics look great last night. But you can't sit there and acknowledge the struggles they've had before and after the All-Star break. Then they have a big win versus the Warriors, and it was an impressive win. They dominated Golden State from the start to the end and say they're okay. There's not a problem. This this situation really is literally a matchup thing. Because when they play in the playoffs, I don't think the Celtics match up well versus the Raptors. Even though you could say they have more top-heavy talent, I think the Raptors are a better team. There's a commitment there. And everybody on the Raptors, 1 through 12, they know their roles. And that's something that Boston seems to struggle with. Are they a legit title contender? To me, if I'm looking at the Bucks, if I'm looking at the Raptors, if I'm looking at the Celtics and Sixers, I have the Celtics as that wild card. I think they're the Jekyll and Hyde team of the Eastern Conference. The Celtics could lose in the first round or they could be in the conference finals in game seven. They have the talent to be in the NBA finals. But I don't know if they have the consistency or the chemistry or the commitment to make that journey. What I will say is, should Boston end up in the NBA Finals versus everyone's favorite, which is Golden State, and rightfully so, that's going to be a hell of a series. That's going to be an amazing series. And if you look, it, don't get caught up in just names, but look at the matchups. That will be an amazing series and I don't think it's a lock that Golden State wins. Yes, the Celtics are my wild card. I think they're a title contender, but they're not the favorites. And they shouldn't be. They've been inconsistent from the jump. And they're still going to be. I, I think going forward, even with this big win, a win that should carry you, should help you build momentum, there's going to be those struggles. And I'm not sure they're going to be able to shore that up before the postseason. Look, as a fan of the game, as a fan of the game, when I look at the teams that could potentially match up with Golden State, should Golden State return to the finals? I think Milwaukee and I think Boston match up with them best. Now, when you look at a team like the Sixers and you see how the Sixers are built, when you see their five, when you look at Embiid, when you look at Tobias Harris, Jimmy Butler, Ben Simmons, when you look at that type of talent, then you add J.J. Redick. They're talented. They're top-heavy. They did make some moves before the trade deadline. I thought they added a lot of 
athleticism in terms of guys that can switch out and defend, and I think that helps. They didn't add a lot of shooting. I look at Philly, and I think the perception is that the Sixers are a team of the future. And I'm not so sure that a closer look would reveal a team that's more like a team of right now. Maybe a team that has, instead of a five to ten year window, because you get caught up in Embiid and Simmons and what they could potentially become as a duo, maybe you need to look at the fact that Embiid, he's struggling. His body is not his best friend. Talented guy, gifted, could go down as one of the all-time great bigs if he can stay healthy, if he can be on the court. You know the saying, one of the great gifts, one of the great talents is availability. And Embiid struggles with that. Now you're talking about him having problems with his knee and his hip. And that factors in to his back. I think Joel Embiid is as talented a player as there is in the NBA in terms of bigs. But if you're asking me, and I hope I'm wrong, but if you're asking me, is Joel Embiid going to have a 10 or 12 year career where he makes eight or nine all-star teams and wins two or three championships? I don't know. I don't know if he's going to be able to play that long, if his body's going to hold up that long. When guys that size, when their bodies start breaking down below the waist, Nine times out of 10, that becomes chronic. That becomes something that goes on throughout their careers and shortens their careers or struggles with their careers. And then sometimes that guy ends up being the player that we say if injuries didn't get in his way or if his career wasn't cut short. The point I'm making is with Embiid's health struggles, when you look at the fact that Jimmy Butler is not a lock to return, because I don't know what the Sixers are going to offer him, but I know they're not going to offer him a max contract. I like Tobias Harris. I like Tobias Harris's talent. But again, he's a free agent. It's not a lock. The Sixers are going to out- offer him what he wants. Maybe somebody else will go all out. To get a guy like Tobias Harris to take him away from the Sixers, you're probably going to have to overpay him. But maybe there's a franchise out there who needs shooting, who needs a guy that can get buckets, who doesn't have to be the number one option that values him in that way. I look at Tobias Harris. I actually think that he would be a really good fit for the Denver Nuggets. I think he would be a really good fit for a team like the Los Angeles Lakers. Now, I get it. I know that Tobias Harris is not that sexy pick. Everybody wants the Lakers to go out and pursue Kevin Durant, Kawhi Leonard, Klay Thompson, and people like that. Yes, he's probably a second-tier star, but he's a gifted player. No, he's not your number one or maybe number two option. But I think Tobias Harris is a terrific number three option because he plays off the ball well. He shoots with range. He moves with the ball. He moves well without the ball. And he's not a great defender, but he does compete on defense. I think it's pivotal that the Sixers, no matter what happens, resign Tobias Harris. I like the Sixers. I think they're entertaining. I don't think they're ready to make a title run, especially if Embiid's not healthy. But even with a healthy Embiid, it's going to be a challenge because as gifted as Ben Simmons is, you know and I know, once the playoffs start, 
and it becomes about half court execution. And it's more about being able to shoot, being able to move off the ball and space the floor. That's going to be a struggle for him because he can't shoot. It's going to be a struggle for him because teams are going to pack the paint and dare him to shoot. And I think that's that's going to be difficult for Philly because it's going to cause spacing, spacing issues. As much as Ben Simmons loves to post up, the best place for Joel Embiid is on the left or right block. Because when he's on the block and he's committed to going to work, unguardable. I think Philly looks like a team that's going to be five or six years deep into a run. But my gut instinct, when you actually look at their contracts, realize who's a free agent, then factor in Embiid's suspect health and what Simmons is going to do in terms of development. Because the truth is, as gifted as Ben Simmons is, he's the same player this year as he was last year. And they're going to need him to be different next year. He's going to have to be better some kind of way. Maybe go from being a very good defender to an elite defender. But he's also going to have to develop at least a respectable mid-range jump shot. He doesn't have to shoot the three. There's this myth that there's there's this narrative out there in the NBA world that to be a gifted or effective perimeter player, you have to be able to shoot the three. And that's just not true. If you have a jump shot, if you have a mid-range jump shot, 10 to 15 feet from the basket, and you can make that with any kind of consistency, you're going to be a problem in this league. You factor in Ben Simmons' ability to get to the basket and get to the rim, and you give him a decent mid-range, there's a problem. I think the Sixers, I think what Elton Brand has done, he's made some bold moves, but I think some of his moves are high-risk, high-reward moves, and we'll see how they panned out. In the same conference, the team that's led the East from start to finish the Milwaukee Bucks. So here's the question. It's real, and it's real simple. Can Giannis, can the Greek freak lead the Bucks on a deep playoff run? And the answer to that question, in my opinion, is yes. Can he lead them all the way to the finals? I don't think so. He could prove me wrong, but I don't think so. I think the Bucs are a very well-balanced team. They might be the most balanced starting five in the NBA. Their, their entire starting five scores in double digits. And everybody except for Giannis in the starting five can shoot the three ball effectively. Giannis is essentially a center. Brooke Lopez is a seven-foot small forward, and Giannis basically plays the, the role of the center. He plays the role of Embiid even though he's probably 60 or 70 pounds smaller. Giannis is one of the elite post players in the game. When he's in the open floor, he's one of the best attackers of the basket in the, in the league, maybe the best. But still, I don't think Milwaukee has quite enough firepower, and I don't think he's developed quite enough to take him to that next level. I think in the playoffs, the smarter teams, the better teams – are going to clog the paint. I think the better teams will double him fast and consistently, and they're going to dare Eric Bledsoe, Brooke Lopez, they're going to dare them to score 25 to 30 points a night. And they'll live with that. If Brooke Lopez and Eric Bledsoe 
and so and a guy like Malcolm Brogdon and Middleton, who's who's an all star, if they can score twenty to twenty five a night, because they'll get the opportunities, I think opposing teams will live with that. But they'd rather do that than let Giannis not only score in the post, but when he's aggressive, when he's beasting his way into the paint, he's getting your front line in foul trouble. So I think he gets doubled a lot. And I think ultimately Milwaukee's, their offense will slow down. They can make a deep playoff run, just not a playoff run that's going to end with them being in the finals. That's just my opinion. So no show is complete without your daily dose of NBA drama. And who carries more drama with them than LeBron James? What team is a drama-filled team more than the Los Angeles Lakers? The Lakers are 30 and 34, and they can't beat lottery teams. They can't beat teams who are tanking, trying to get in better position for Zion Williams. Therefore, of course, they're not going to be able to beat the better teams. So what's the path forward if this season is going to be a failure in terms of at least getting into the playoffs? Year one with LeBron, no playoffs. Year two, well, here's the thing, Laker fans. I think this offseason is all or nothing for the LeBron James era. If the Lakers come up empty-handed this offseason, and, and let me be clear, when I say empty-handed, I mean getting legit all-star slash superstar help for LeBron James the LeBron James era is going to be a failure here. It's all or nothing this offseason. But here's the thing. Ahead of time, you already know this, right? You already know you're not getting KD. He's not helping LeBron win a title. You already know you're not getting Klay Thompson. He's not helping him. Kyrie's not coming back. They're not going to play together again. So what does that leave you with? Because Kawhi Leonard, he's not coming here either. So what's enough? How much talent is enough? Would the additions of Kimball Walker and Jimmy Butler be enough to make the Lakers title contenders? Not playoff contenders, but legitimate title contenders. I don't think so. And here's why. I think Kimball Walker is a talented, explosive scorer. And he's a gifted player, but I would say that he is a he's a lesser version of Kyrie Irving slash Damian Lillard. He's he's not far off from those guys, but he's a lesser version of both of them. And I believe he's as old or older than both of them. And then there's Jimmy Butler. Now, Jimmy Butler is a talented player, and I've always given him credit because of where he was drafted how he worked on his game, became a gym rat, and turned himself into an all-star through his hard work and his effort. Jimmy Butler just turned 30. But when you watch him move, when you watch how he looks like he's already lost a couple of steps, Jimmy Butler looks older than LeBron. I don't know if you want Jimmy Butler and his broken down body, or what appears to be a broken down body, on your team. How much money are you willing to give Jimmy Butler, who looks like he's 35 or 36 and not a young 35 or 36? Are you going to give him a max deal? He's not worth that. 
He's a very good player, but he's not worth the max contract. And if you get Jimmy Butler and, and Kimba again, I don't think that makes the Lakers title contenders. I think that makes them very good. But the goal is not to be very good. So the question is, if the, is that the smarter path forward? Settling for all-star caliber players, but not superstar caliber players. Do you just go ahead and give up on the young guys? Do you say, you know what? We can't win with Kuzma and Ingram or Ball. Or do you continue to develop them? Brandon Ingram's 21 years old. Kuzma's 23. Both of those guys are averaging 18 points a game, five rebounds. Both are shooting 47% or better from the floor. Now, both aren't great three-point shooters. Kuzma's a streaky one. He shot the three great last season, but at the end of last season, he struggled, and he's been struggling with his three off and on all year this year. Ingram has a more of a mid-range game because he's better off the bounce than Kuzma. He can create his own shot. Lonzo Ball, talented, athletic, can be a really gifted floor general. What he lacks is a consistent aggression. What he lacks is he doesn't get into attack mode. And yes, it's scary when your point guard, a guy who handles the ball as often as he does, only shoots 41% from the free throw line. That is scary. But he's 21 years old. I think there's room for growth. I think he can still improve. Josh Hart is 23. I don't see star, but he's a very good player. Josh Hart is what I would call a winning basketball player, the kind of guy you want on your squad. I'm not going to buy into that they don't have enough talent. If that narrative that people want to put out there is that they were in fourth place when LeBron was injured, that's fair. They were. But if you're going to put that out there and pump your chest out like, the only reason they're not in fourth place is because LeBron got injured. I'll grant you that. But that's acknowledging that he does have some capable players to play alongside. Even if you think the magic, the, the, the roster that Magic put together is flawed. You're LeBron James and you're supposed to be the best player on the planet. You come off the all-star break. You're one game under 500. With 23 games to go, you have more than enough games to at least get the eighth spot. At least get that. I'm not saying shoot for six or seven, but at least get the eighth spot. And here we are now, and you're four games under 500. No excuses. The injuries are a legit excuse for why they're not no longer in the fourth place. Got you. No argument. But you can't sit there with them on the verge of missing the playoffs and say he doesn't have enough help. He had enough help to be in fourth place. He definitely has enough help to make a run at the eighth spot. If they're not going to make the playoffs, it's not because he doesn't have enough talent around him. It's because the talent around him doesn't believe in him. It's because the talent around him, they don't see a leader in front of them. We all can acknowledge he's the best player by far. No question. But that doesn't mean you're a leader. And pumping out your chest and going to the media and talking about how you won't accept this or that or guys should play harder. 
that's not really leadership. That's more like throw people under the bus and then pump your chest up about what you're doing, putting out your numbers. Yes, you're putting up numbers offensively. And you're talking about people coming at you defensively. They're still coming at you. Those rotations that are getting missed, a lot of those are yours. You don't play D. If you're not playing defense and you're supposed to be the de facto, no no questions asked, best player, the leader of the team, why would the 21-year-old, why would the 23-year-old, why would the 19-year-old play hard when you don't play hard? Why would they play for you when they feel like you're not playing for them? When they feel like you're putting up numbers, but you're not trying to win games. I don't know how the LeBron James era with the Lakers is going to end. And I'm quick to tell you how I've been a fan of what he's accomplished over his career and what he's done. But he does bring drama. And Kevin Durant wasn't 100% wrong when he said there is an element, a toxic element around him. There is. And some of that is of his own doing. Not all of it, but some of it, it's the stuff that comes out of his mouth. Him, his team, even though he has no knowledge of what was going on with Anthony Davis, but you know that Maverick, you know that that, that is part of his core. That's part of his squad. You know that LeBron knows everything that's going on at Clutch Sports. You know that Rich Paul and him are boys. To say that you have no clue what Rich Paul is doing, come on, man. Let's keep it 100. Let's keep it all the way 100. Remember what I said. Remember this conversation. This offseason is make or break for the Los Angeles Lakers. This offseason is make or break for the LeBron James era in Los Angeles. If they come up empty handed, what's the path forward? It's the cipher. Shout out to the Facebook fam, the YouTube fam, and now the Spreaker fam. I've yet to do an episode on Spreaker, but I plan on doing one today. I don't know if I'm going to release it today, but I'm going to do one today. It'll be on the NBA and some other things, not any one subject. But again, a shout out to Leah because she did me a real solid Uh, When I read a lot of you guys inboxes and your messages, I kind of scroll because a lot of you all ask the same questions or similar questions. But in big, bold letters, Leah had check your YouTube settings, no episodes. And I checked my settings and apparently maybe the last 35 or 40 episodes, they didn't get posted to YouTube because my settings were almost completely changed, not by my doing. Um, I actually contacted you, uh, YouTube and they said sometimes that can randomly happen. There's a glitch. I don't know why that is. But uh, again, I appreciate you, Leah. Good looking out. I'll do a better job. So now welcome back, YouTube fam. Um, and again, look out for me, everybody, because I'm going to do something on Spreaker. Spreaker has been looking me out really well as, as far as helping out, putting the show out on different platforms. Uh, my wife always asks me, Why don't you look at numbers? Why don't you look at your number of listeners? I did that early on and I did that like in a a crazy way. And I realized if you get caught up in that, then you're not doing it because you enjoy it. So I stopped and I still don't. 
she told me some numbers the other day and it made me grin. But after it made me grin, <laughs> I started getting in that weird mode again. So I told her, don't tell me any more numbers. I'm doing this because I enjoy it. Yes, I do want my audience to grow. Yes, I want more listeners and I want more interaction. Don't get me wrong, of course. But I'm doing this because I enjoy doing this. I have something to say. I'm sharing my thoughts on sports, my opinions, not saying I'm 100% right or wrong. But I'm putting something out there. I'm connecting and communicating with people. And it's great that people listen to it. But I'm not going to get caught up in numbers because if you're just looking at that, if you're obsessed with that, you're not having fun. For me, doing this, it comes natural and it comes easy. I don't do a scripted show. I'll write down five or ten things that I want to talk about and it's current and it's what's going on. And I'll go. And when I give you statistics, yes, I'll have a few of them off to the side. But trust me on this, fam, 90 percent of that, that's just in my head. I'm just more comfortable coming off that way. If I tried to do a scripted show, if I tried to come off that way, I would sound mechanical. And that's not my thing. That's not my in my DNA. That's not what I do. So shout out to Spreaker, YouTube, and the Facebook crew. I appreciate you all. I appreciate the Anchor app. I appreciate the Anchor community because a lot of those guys give really good advice. And I've taken some of that and I've put it to use in terms of what I've done with the show. And I think eventually, yes, I'm going to upgrade. I'm going to get a really expensive microphone and some equipment and go all in. But right now, because I know I'm having fun, because I know I'm connecting what I'm doing and how I'm doing it, it works. It's it, And it seems more organic. It seems natural. And I think that was my goal always. However I sound, when I say something, when I come off some kind of way, even if I stammer or stutter, that's real. That's natural. That's how I talk. I appreciate you all. Next episode, don't forget, Best Young Course. And also, we're going to do LeBron's case for GOAT. It's the cipher. Next time.